0: from Tel Aviv, two nice
1: Jewish boys, Aiden Weinstein and Or Minninger.
2: All right, no introduction today. Yeah, because it's a special episode. Nothing, just it feels so weird. I feel like I'm the guest
1: <laughs> because
2: I'm sitting in the guest spot.
1: Yeah, and you practically, but you, you didn't behave like a guest. No, just I just now. came in, took a cake out of your fridge, and sat down.
2: Exactly. I was like, all right, ask me questions. Um, nom, 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 nom. How's the cake, though?
1: It's actually delicious. Who made it? My mom. Compliments to the chef. Okay. We'll pass it along. So, well, the thing is, guys, that it's our one-year anniversary. Oh. It's been a year since we recorded and uploaded the first episode of the podcast. Yeah. I um. totally remembered. <laughs> I definitely remembered. I definitely did not forget. Of course, it's in your calendar.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. Like you have two reminders. Exactly. I get an email and a
1: notification. Once at midnight and once at 8 a.m. Yeah. yeah, if I would have forgotten, though. And yet the bouquet the end of me. has not yet to arrive. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm sorry, baby. I told you I'd buy you something <laughs> special. Take my credit card, go buy yourself something special.
1: Oh, if only it were usable. <laughs> All you get with my credit card You're is. Like, a <laughs> bunch of <that>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, the plan we have for you it's not today. Funny, but it's true. Yeah. Um well the plan we have for you today is we th- we figured because when we started we were just it was just the two of us. Pretty quickly, we uh, got to the point where we realized that basically we need guests because guests bring listeners with them,
2: right? Yeah, and it's interesting to talk to cool people. Plus, we just wanted to hang out with cool people. We wanted an excuse to bring members of parliament to Naora's living room. Exactly. And we had it. We finally had it. Yes. So we went with it. But now we want to go back to our roots a little bit, you know?
1: Yes, because interestingly enough, there were pretty high-end guests. Early on on the show, and the statistics that we get show that some of those episodes were neglected. So we thought we'll bring you guys uh, a taste of a few of those nice uh, guests that we had uh, along the a, way. A tour de two NJB, if you will. Yes, we. <laughs> <Oui. laughs> And um, maybe we'll tell a little bit about behind the scenes And a little bit about what we are up to today And our plans for the future But before we
2: begin Yes Let's give a little bit of a taste We do have a new podcast coming up, guys And you should stay tuned The date for premiere is not set yet But we're recording it as we speak right now At the new Israeli Public Broadcasting Corporation Which is like NPR, only in Israel So we're recording a new uh, new podcast It'll be broadcast Soon, hopefully in the fall, uh, so stay tuned, and we'll keep you guys updated.
1: Yes, and of course we are doing it parallel to this podcast. We are not giving up on two nice Jewish boys. We course. never would, and it will be a very different podcast, um, mainly for Olim and about Aliyah to Israel, and very different and very refreshing. And we'll ho- we hope you like it, and we'll of course share with you when we have more news about it indeed so it's been keeping us busy as of late um but here we are celebrating our one year anniversary and i have some nice sound bites sound bits sound sound bites sound bites um, for you, Aton. Okay. Well, uh, Aton doesn't so know which ones I picked. It's a surprise. So, the first, but I will say a little bit about each one of them before so that okay. we can um, prepare the audience. If... The, I, I can't even describe the excitement right now. It's like... So, the first one, it's the Jonathan El-Huri episode. Ah. Episode El-Huri. 21. And you want to remind our, our listeners who was, who is Jonathan?
2: Jonathan El-Huri is the son of a southern lebanese uh army soldier ex-officer who e- escaped lebanon basically with his family in the year 2000 when the 2001. 2001 right when the israeli army left the southern lebanon the strip uh that it occupied in southern lebanon and then there was kind of this uh, change of power this drastic quick shift of power yeah. where the with. he is
1: a christian and the hezbollah uh, yeah. a terrorist organization they conquered his village and, and they persecuted they had, a lot of the They Christians. persecuted his father flee to israel and and jonathan and his mother followed, a, followed them. a year later right yes exactly so on this bit he tells us about how hezbollah has conquered his village yeah after israel left like a day after hezbollah
0: entered yeah. Uh, yeah. our villages they claimed our villages you remember that of course they had a parade it's not like they just entered and that's it. No, we were all like standing in the streets and people were like throwing rice at them because if you're not doing that, you're going to be dead the <laughs> yes. next day. And I, I, I remember hearing my grandmother like cursing at them. And then my uncle tells her, like, you need to shut up. Like, <laughs> uh, it, they will do something to... to, yeah, because because of them, my father had to leave of her son. He just of handed course. her a bag of rice. <laughs> yeah. throw, just throw it. Yeah. um, Yeah, it was. It was crazy and then afterwards like nights after they started entering homes of the South Lebanon army that stayed in Lebanon they took the men that was in the army and uh, they beat in the wives the kids everything that was in their uh, way and they took everything they want like they took the cars they took um, jewelries and everything and they had like Including they were like your the place? Nazis I'm sorry to do this comparison no, you, but they had, they had like papers saying everything like who is living where, what does he
1: belong, and everything they, they, they knew. I think it's a fair comparison. And on the next bit, um, Jonathan tells us about the reunion, how they fleed from Lebanon to Israel and the reunion with his father. Yes. Yeah, we we made up a story.
0: My mom said that we were flying to uh, California. Uh, I have an uncle that lives there like for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know that we were leaving. Like suddenly we are at the airport Mm -hmm. in Beirut. And my mom calls her sister and says goodbye on the phone. No one knew from the family except of her parents and my uh, my father's brothers. And suddenly I saw them at the airport saying goodbye. And I was holding like two teddy bears that my grandmother gave me uh, a month before we left. Because my mom told me like, listen, take like something special that you want. So I took the teddy bear. still, (laughs) Still have it? I still have it, yeah. Um, it's like the memory that i have from Lebanon um and then afterwards we we entered the the airport and i i cried a lot and my mom tried to make me like uh to relax so we will not get any tension yeah so how was uh, the reunion okay. with him it was really emotional i didn't uh recognize my father at the beginning how so? uh, wow he changed in a year and 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 uh, and a half uh he gained weight and he removed his mustache and um That like he was really—it uh, was like a year and a half after, so it was uh strange for me. And i was really like I cried a lot. So <laughs> he was in front of me, and my mom was shouting like, "Here's your father!" I'm like, "Where?" <laughs> and yeah, You're like, who is this man? <laughs> <laughs> who is this chubby man? Like, today I'm, I'm like, I'm going on his steps. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It's it's
2: funny because that is actually—I mean—that's one of our favorite episodes, and that yeah. is. The bit
1: that we used to pitch to the uh, to the tagid, right to the actually. to the new podcast. Yeah, yeah, we were really proud of that part. But you know, listening to this um, episode while well, searching for sound bites, um, it struck it struck me um, how different our styles were back then. I mean, this part is really at the end of the episode. Uh, mm-hmm. It took us forever to get there. We like yeah. it's a good episode and it's interesting. But we weren't really focused. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know
2: we, we we beat around the bush a lot. We didn't know how lot. to get to the point.
1: A lot. So it was really interesting comparing that episode to the more recent ones yeah. and seeing like that we became a little bit better, I would say. In focusing and and where the weight of we're, the episode should be, and we're weathered interviewers now. Oh yeah, we're like we're
2: tooting our own horns here, but yeah, it's amazing how the improvement. Uh, yeah. you know how how good we've gotten. We're basically hey, you no, know, come on, we no. could we could work for CNN, is what we're saying. Like
1: you're Larry King. Yeah. And at I'm, least. At least. And you're Jimmy Kimmel. I'm Jimmy Kimmel, yeah, probably.
2: No, but it was it's a it's a really fascinating episode. I mean, first of all, Jonathan is like he's a he's a great guy and he's just fun to listen to and he tells the story. Yeah, and amazingly. you know I keep
1: seeing him on on facebook he's traveling around the world fighting bds he's been doing really great since yeah 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 he became this huge like pro-israel advocate right
2: because you know he saw what it was to live under these other regimes that are in the area and uh and and then he moved to israel and he saw what kind of a free country free democratic, not to say we don't have problems but you know yeah. What a what a free democratic society
1: this is. And he decided to uh, advocate that around the world. Yeah, that's really inspiring. So that was episode 21. Ready for the next one? I'm so ready for it. Okay, so for the next one, I took something you would like, which okay. is Maya Zinstein and the Beitar uh, Jerusalem nice. episode. So you want to give us a heads up? So yeah, so Maya Zinstein directed a movie called... Forever Pure. Forever Pure. Now we can tell, we we couldn't... We weren't allowed to expose it last time when when we aired the episode, but now we can say that this film was sold to Netflix. Ah, oh, really? Yes, yes. You forgot about it, but you knew about it. Never mind. But the film is <laughs> was sold to Netflix, and you can actually watch it on Netflix in the U.S.
2: It's a fascinating film, and it deals documentary. Documentary, yeah. Uh, it feels it deals with um, basically a. Uh, small but the film actually claims not so small group of fans of Beit Al-Shalaim which is the main soccer uh or football for you UK folks team of Jerusalem and it's considered somewhat the national team um it's like the you know the national baby of yeah. of Israeli football and this small group of fans is called La Familia, and they are—they have questionable tactics. They're a bit—they're uh, a bit uh, extreme, a bit violent. Um, maybe not a bit. <laughs> Some would say racist. Yeah, racist. They always have racist chants, and they're you know they they base basically what happened is in 2011 I think it was the team had uh, this ownership that brought two players from Chechnya Muslims, Muslim players, and this small group of fans fought to get these two players
1: kicked off the team. Uh, and they eventually succeeded right. in their endeavors. So we had the great uh, opportunity to host Maya, the director of this film, which is now on Netflix, which is crazy, and um, and she talked to us on this uh, uh, soundbite. She talks about the Beitar Club, the La Familia, and yeah. the Beitar Jerusalem Club, and how they are perceived. So let's hear it.
3: I think it's an amazing, uh, an amazing club that was captured by the wrong hands and today it's on the wrong hands the, the la familia are giving the tone and i think it's very bad because it has nothing to do with the ideology of jabotinsky and because nothing it wasn't it wasn't of course it wasn't a racist ideology it became a conversation about the uh, the psychology, the psychology of the masses. But yes, it's an interesting. Yes, y- it's, it's fascinating actually, it's and a I part do of the think movie. I do think that for the uh, masses, it's much more easier to relate it to a very extreme and anti ideas, and not. It's always easier to be against something Simplistic, than yeah. yeah, than for something. I think that in that and what you said earlier, it's very true. The fans of Beitar are presenting in, um, I think, quite good, the Israeli society today. And as we know, today, lots of people in Israel... Hate that, Arabs? Yes, yes, they are. Maybe they won't go to the street and, and uh, shout uh, death to Arabs, but in the depth of their hearts... Mm,
1: Especially during wars, they'll yeah, think yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, in, yeah. The, in,
3: in, the, in the depth of their hearts, they kind of, mm, yeah... I could do without them. Yeah, yeah, it's better mm-hmm. without them.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and of course, and I think when you're asking, are all the 20,000 people that decided not come to the stadium, are they racist? No, they're not. Because, mm-hmm. and they will tell you, well, I'm not racist, but, and I'm always yeah. saying when a but comes after <laughs> racist, <laughs> there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> because you cannot be not I racist, have, but. I have
2: plenty of Arab friends. Yeah, That's exactly. Like I have plenty like of, <laughs> my yeah, my and a lot friends. of them,
3: and a lot of them are saying, I have plenty of Arab friends, I'm working with them, but they don't won them in their club and yeah. I and and I think for me and actually again I don't think that the fans are the responsible because this identity of a non-Arab club has been built for years mm-hmm. it, it doesn't happen in one day it's mm-hmm. a process so yeah if you will ask me who are the bad guys of the team mm-hmm. of the of the film I'm sorry and I will surprise you of course it's the politicians for me yeah
1: that's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing, though. No, 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 she is. And, you know, this is so relevant. I can't help but thinking about um, Charlottesville? Charlottesburg? How is it called? Charlottesville? Charlottesville. Ah,
2: Charlottesville, uh, uh, Virginia. Virginia. Virginia, yeah. What's going yeah. on there right now?
1: Yeah, because this is... I would say that La Familia and those groups here are the equivalent of those white supremacists the white nationalists, yeah. And the fact that the politicians are the ones who win on those fights, Mm -hmm. right? And how they manipulate those people.
2: But, you know, I don't know. I'm always like, you have leaders, of course, and you have to put certain amount of responsibility on the leaders. But it's indicative of a certain problem that exists. It's not like you can say, you know, "These these are the people to blame. They're inciting violence, you know? inciting violence is not okay it's even illegal but but you know when
1: people are are people have to be held responsible for their actions of course they are responsible but well in certain political environments certain people thrive more than others right true so well that's my point i guess (laughs) i get what you're saying you're saying that violence
2: yeah, uh, it's like what she said. It's easier to kind of feed off of uh, violence and not vi- hatred and anti uh, sentiments mm-hmm. than you know actually work on like positive sentiments
1: and and good feelings and the desire to do you know good things. Exactly. So this is a very interesting episode. I think it's episode thirty-two of our uh, podcast. And again, before you go and listen to it, which you should do, uh, go to Netflix. And, and check out the film. Check out the film. It's a it's, really, awesome. it's a
2: really good movie.
1: Okay. Are you ready? What's up next? For the next bite. Well, this time I Just went... Just give me a name. Pepe. Pepe. I ah, went to Pepe. Giuseppe. Giuseppe Giardino, which Giardino. was episode 13. He wow. was like our second or third guest. Yeah, the pizza. The pizza man. The pizza man who is one of Tel Aviv's top pizza maker. by the way, my father told me he ran into him uh, like a week ago, and now he, what he's doing because when we talked to him, he closed his pizza places and uh, went to study how the art of making hummus in the market it was a hummus <laughs> uh, I don't even <laughs> I don't know, the know yeah, you know, like hummus assistant. connoisseur, yeah, exactly a hummus. A hummus, yes and now he is doing private, um, like eat with you know this company, Eat With? No. They organize private um, meals at homes. It's like okay. Airbnb meets, meets uh, chefs. Okay. And he's it's been like doing- like rent a chef. Something like that. And okay. he's been doing that now, cooking pizza, like making pizzas. At pizzas, people's homes. At people's homes, oh, which is awesome.
2: We should have gotten him
1: for this episode.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's probably out of our budget. Probably.
1: Considering our budget zero. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this uh, small uh, bit- Uh, Pepe tells us about what it takes to make to make a true napolitan pizza
5: I listen to make pizza pizza napoletana yeah Uh, it's easy yeah but there are many small easy steps that if you bypass one or two the end result will not be the same okay you know so you have an amazing pizza but to make pizza pizza what is it? There is a There's a book that actually that everyone in Naples uh, uh, that belongs to the two associations uh, study. You know, there's a guideline. It's like a bible, guys. You cannot go outside these parameters. Okay. That's it. So anything outside of these parameters, you cannot call pizza napoletana. Can
2: you give us a, a, a short definition of what is the, the what parameters. is a, what is a pizza napoletana? For,
5: for example, let's start with the oven. The yeah. oven has to be uh, has to reach temperature of 500 degrees. Celsius, okay. you know, 450. Let's say, uh, you have to ha- um, uh, use a like a long fermentation. Which now we talk about the flour, the way you put your fingers on the, on the dough, uh, the way you open it, the size. Um, you cannot go outside the border. The tomato sauce that you use, the mozzarella that you use, the cheese if it applies, the olive oil. It's the the craftsmanship. The way you open it, the way you stretch it, when you stretch it, when you open it, when wow. it's okay, when it's not okay. If the oven is not, it, there's a lot of things that you need to know.
2: I love I love his accent because he lived in New York for a while. Yeah. So he's got that. You know when it's okay, when it's not okay, when you cannot go outside the
1: borders. You know. <laughs> it's like I'm doing yeah, horribly. Tony a bit. Yeah, Tony Soprano meets some Italian the Godfather. Guy. Yeah. Um, but I feel like pizza right now. But
2: yeah. Yeah. It kind of
1: builds up your appetite. It, it was a very entertaining episode because every once in a while we stopped to sing a song. It was ridiculous. I don't know what happened there but uh we sang songs yeah yeah i remember he sang a song no we sang with him we did what do we say yeah sing? uh living on a prayer
2: Uh living on a prayer exactly <laughs> yeah yeah we did it that's was crazy
1: right. <laughs> Yeah, it was. but he's really an interesting guy and, and the episode is full of hilarious stories about his life and yeah. how he ended up in tel aviv so do check it out it's episode 13 he's making hummus now I oh you said it easy told you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh God! But so, did he did he ever open up a hummus place before that? No, 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 no. So next in line, I have Professor Alman, which uh. was for me. I was so nervous before. It was such a great honor, and I was so nervous that you know t- the Hebrew University in Jerusalem has two campuses in two. Different parts of the city, and Ethan and I were driving to the campus, and mm-hmm. we were there just in time. And uh, we were just we were there just in time, and we were calling Alman's assistant, in which point we realized that we are actually in the wrong campus, which is in the opposite side of the city, and there's traffic, and I got super super pressure first nobel prize laureate exactly out of two (laughs) but but it was i mean it
2: was a nobel prize laureate i think this was actually one of our first high profile guests like that high profile he was probably the highest profile at that point yeah so we were like holy shit we're late to this guy he's gonna you know call it off we're not gonna have this interview but then You know, little did we know
1: how laid back and relaxed this guy was. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Um, And who is Professor Raman? He's a Nobel Prize laureate. He won this prize for his work on game theory. And uh, he, he's, he's known some critics here in Israel um, because he's very, very, very right-wing. But we tried to avoid politics as much as we could. And the, the episode was mainly about his life and career. And one but of it, the most interesting parts... Yes. Yeah, so it has it,
2: politics in it. It has a little bit, yeah. yeah.
1: But one of the nicest parts is what, when he tells us about how he uh, came to be familiar with game theory... And how he met with John Nash, whose story was depicted in um, the film Beautiful Mind. Film Beautiful Mind with um, Russell Crowe. Russell Crow. So here it is, Professor Alman. John Nash steps then, into uh, your John room. Nash
4: uh, comes and he, we talk about game theory because he did his thesis in game theory and we talk about that and uh, I think okay it's very nice it's interesting we uh, banter it about back and forth but it doesn't really grab me and then after my uh, doctorate, I went to work for an operations research firm you guys know what operations research is
1: In, in intelligence
4: uh it's, Army you know, or, or related. it's intelligence, but it's all kinds of management problems okay uh, logistics i think that's that's the be- that's what covers it best. The word logistics covers uh, um operations research. it's the application of mathematics to solve logistic management problems and so on in this outfit we got a problem from Bell Telephone laboratories who were developing a ground-to-air missile. This was the middle of the fifties, so it was the height of the Cold War. Maybe not quite the height, but we were working up to the height of the Cold War. Anyway, they were developing a ground-to-air missile, and the problem that they, were, uh, that they gave us, this outfit that I was working for, is uh, suppose you have an attack by a squadron of aircraft which uh, uh, most of which are um, demis, they're not carrying any weapons, yeah. And some of which, a relatively small number, are carrying nuclear bombs. Uh, and uh, now you have this Grand air missile, what are you going to do with it, yes? Yeah, so how are you going to? Are you going to try to identify the ones that are carrying bombs? or What, what will you try to do about it? How, how, how can you best uh, attack this yep. problem? Not only attack the aircraft, but attack the problem, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, once the boss gave me this assignment, saying, okay, Bob, you uh, work on this, I realized, I, f- I remembered the conversations with Nash, and uh, i realized that this is game theory what a man <laughs> what a man yeah he is and
1: it, it was one of those um, episodes where you feel like podcasts are worth making yeah because you get to meet such people
2: yeah, it was definitely fascinating. I think one of the uh, one of the best parts of that was, I mean, obviously it was fascinating to listen to him and to hear about his theories and his work. But one of the best parts was when he was looking for a quote, right? For, by, by who? By Obama, I think. No, by, by Obama? I think it was in Obama's acceptance speech. Right. And he was looking for the quote, um, and he got up to look for it, He wanted to be very precise about it. Yeah, he was not going to let go of, like, finding the exact words. Right. So, he got up and looked for it for, like, five minutes. That and feeding him strawberries, of
1: course. Yeah. Did he uh, eat any of the strawberries? mm, I don't remember, but I hope he did. But uh, there was was also the part looking at the board behind him, looking at the work... Is being doing at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the calculations. Not that quotes. we understood any of it. Yeah, but there were some nice. Well, there's quotes. lots of letters and numbers and equal signs. Yeah. And other stuff. So that's the Alman episode, and this is episode 19. Yes. Do check, check it, it out. out. And next. What's up? We have, Deborah. Deborah Lipstadt, Professor Deborah Lipstadt, uh, who. Um, Came here to visit uh, for the uh, Jerusalem Jewish Film Festival where the film that was made about her life, which is called Denial, Mm -hmm. was screened. And it's a film with Rachel Weisz that tells the story of the lawsuit that an Holocaust denier called David David Irving um, filed against her in London. And it's an amazing film. You gotta watch it if you didn't. And in this bit, Deborah tells us about how um, Irving got to sue her, and also about Irving and who he is, and some interesting stories.
6: Then, in the late 80s, he came out as a denier. He identified himself as a denier, um, and 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 accepted it whole hog. You know, all all the way, 100 percent. So that's exactly when I was writing my book about denial. So I included those couple of hundred words about him. The book came out in the United States, very fine reviews, and then was bought by Penguin UK, and it came out in England. Um, And once it came out in England, and was sold in England, I was considered by British law of having done business in the the United Kingdom, and therefore subject to their, their laws, including their libel laws, and he sued me for libel there. Now, uh, libel law in the United Kingdom is the mirror image of American libel law. In America, if I say you lied about me, I have to prove you lied about me because you have a presumption of innocence. In England, when it comes to libel law, you as the author of the words have to prove the truth of what you said as opposed to the person who's been written about having to prove the falsehood. But that's very important because had I not fought, he would have won by default. Mm-hmm. And there were many people who said to me, "Don't fight, settle, ignore it." I don't know how you can ignore a libel suit, but settle—everyone will know you're settling with a denier, and you just don't want to give him the publicity. Um, but had I not done it, he would have won by default. Then he could have said, "My date, my David Irving, version of the Holocaust is correct because Deborah Lipstadt libeled me when she called me a denier. Therefore, I'm not a denier." Um, and his version is classic Holocaust denial. There was no plan to kill the Jews. Uh, The number six million is an exaggerated number. Some Jews died. Nobody was killed purposely uh, for being Jewish. Um, Hitler was the best friend the Jews had in Germany. The whole thing is a myth that the Jews have created to get a state, to get money. Again, going back to those anti-Semitic themes of conniving Jews.
1: I love her accent. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you took from it?
2: (laughs) You're like, oh my God, her accent.
1: I love it. I'm yeah, obsessed I mean, that with Holocaust accent. denial stuff. Like, yeah, no, it's... the Holocaust denial is, was fascinating. It was a f- we uh, actually we had some fascinating discussions on this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. And you should definitely watch the film and then hopefully Listen to the episode. Yeah, because I think it adds to it. I mean,
2: you get to yeah. hear her perspective. Um, what she went through is insane. I mean, she yeah. was sued by this guy for basically like voicing one of the clearest truths there is yeah you know she had to prove and she had to prove that she was innocent right which is ridiculous yeah it's crazy how that it's is still how it works in the uk right right why are they so far behind
1: well because that's how they are you know (laughs)
2: it's just them
1: just say thanks they didn't (laughs) they didn't um win in the independence war yeah that's true because then you would be talking like a brit right now but i you know
2: it's still uh, the south you know the south still lost in the that's following true. That's true. independence war <laughs> so ultimately our our in our <laughs> aspirations were crushed anyway but you know seeing what's happening now the south might rise again so hopefully i hopefully let's wish them best of luck south rise again no but seriously that's a great episode <laughs> racism you know aside that's a great episode. You guys should listen to it. Um, she has a lot to a lot to teach us.
1: Yeah. So that's the Borolips that episode twenty two, and uh, sorry episode twenty. And now for episode twenty two, which is the spy, the the spoon bending spy. Uh huh. Who is Uri Geller. Uri Geller? Do tell our listeners, Aton, about how we came to interview Ori Geller. So, Uri, why? <laughs> well, I, I can hardly recall.
2: All I remember is my mind being manipulated <laughs> into arriving at the studio. No, but we actually, uh, we got in touch with him and he got back to us really quickly. Yeah. He got but back to us in like a minute. You emailed him. Yeah. And then he emailed me right back. And, uh, and but why, s- why
1: did we email him? Because there was an article. Ah, uh-huh, yes, that that's
2: true. It was following the uh, CIA revealing the fact that they worked with him, and they worked with him at Stanford Institute to uh, to research the idea of psychic warriors. Right. That's real that like was a real thing. Like the CIA has documents where <laughs> where they basically the title of the document is research into psychic warrior abilities. I still find that baffling. But
1: anyway... And they thought Uri Geller is the the guy to -to to experiment on. Obviously.
2: Because what are you going to fight with if not spoons? Yep. But anyway, so they brought in Uri Geller, did some tests on him. Decades later, they revealed the fact. So we got in touch with him and we're like, okay, we need to talk to this guy. We send him an email and then he gets back to us and uh, basically says... um, I will do the interview, but you will find a studio. It
1: wasn't him saying it. It was him obeying Com- it commanding, and commanding, commanding. it. Commanding. Upon we our minds. Yeah. Futile minds. I read it and
2: I, I really did feel futile. <laughs> and he said, you will find a studio. That's <laughs> how he phrased it. Yeah. And it was. It was and you and did. And I did. I it found was, a studio. It was a and, accurate. And guess. he said, I will meet you at the studio on so-and-so day at so-and-so time. And we did. We met at that time, yeah. at that studio. Basically, reality played out as Uri uh, you know, envisioned it in his mind. Yeah. And so we incredible. ended up sitting with him and having a... you know Incredible um, chit-chat. Yeah. You
1: brought a spoon. He bended it live. I did. I and did. And uh, you still have it somewhere? I, I do. Somewhere. I still have it. I eat cereal with it every <laughs> morning. It's kind of difficult, but I do it nonetheless. Right. And in um, and, and this bit... Uri tells us about how he made it from being an underwear model into the Israel's most famous psychic artist and later world-renowned.
7: And I I said to the photographer, one of the photographer, you won't believe it, he lives in old Jaffa, his name is Norbert. I said to him, do you have a spoon in the kitchen? He says, yes. So I bend it, he's freaked out, and he says, Uri Geller, how did you do this? I'm giving a house party today. No one will believe me. You've got to come and demonstrate your abilities, your powers. And immediately, I raised up my fingers and I said, how much are you going to pay me? I went to the party and... Stop me if you think I'm... No, no, no. do no. And I went to the party, house party, and there was the moment where I was shocked. I was shocked from the response of the people a rather trivial spoon bending was amazing to those watching mm-hmm. and these house parties became um, you know from from photographers um the word got out this is 68 69 68 69 the, the the word got out uh from photographers to lawyers from lawyers to judges from judges homes to generals and one day Golda Meyer is in one of these house parties. So I thought to myself, this is my chance. She's the prime minister by the now? prime minister. So I woke up to her. I always carry, a, not today I ca- carry a Sharpie, but then there were no Sharpies. <laughs> there were big lords. They were called lords, markers. And I give her a piece of paper and I tell her, Golda, lechile Betashimosh means go to the toilet, to the restroom, <laughs> lock yourself in and do a secret drawing. Don't show it to anyone. Uh, she, uh, and I'll read your mind when you come out. She says, no one no one can read my mind. So she goes, she shuts herself in. Everyone is waiting. She comes out. And by the uh, way... You did this with everybody's attention. Yeah, it was in the middle yeah, yeah. of the party. Okay, yeah. and, and, and by the way, n- I don't think anyone ever in any place around the world ever sent a prime minister to the toilet on command. I didn't know they go to yeah. the <laughs> toilet. <laughs> but she did. She comes out. And she clutches a drawing very kind of in her fist. And I just drew it. She drew a Star of David. It was the same size, millimetric. And the next day, it was the beginning of my career because she was being interviewed on Israeli radio. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the presenter asks her, "Um, Golda Meir, What do you predict for the future of Israel? And she says, without hesitation, don't ask me, ask Uri Geller. Oh my
2: wow. God. That was
7: it. Honestly, the phone in my tiny apartment starts ringing. Entrepreneurs, agents, managers. Anyhow, the Mossad somehow made a deal with the CIA in 1972 and they let me out of Israel straight to Stanford. That's how it all started. Uh-huh.
1: Oh, God. I I mean, I got a lot of uh, people telling me they didn't like this. Many people did like this episode, mainly German people, because in Germany, Uri Geller is He's like David Hasselhoff.
2: Yes, he's huge. He's bigger than David Hasselhoff in Germany. Every
1: German knows him. Literally. Literally. Yes. He was huge in Germany. Um, so they liked it. They liked it. Everybody but other people, no, other people said, no, he's full of shit. And when people told me this, I told them, listen. And they say, do you believe it? And I told them, listen, it doesn't... Like they, we say it in the episode two, it doesn't matter because he is really one of the best storytellers mm-hmm. I ever encountered. And to me, that's enough. Yeah, Mark Twain said, and I told you
2: this already, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. But you still... <laughs> you still wonder because, you know, a good story. Mark Twain's telling you a good story. You know, it's a story in the end of the day. This guy is telling you that what he's saying is truth. So, so what? you're you're wondering whether or not it's true. It's that's natural. The, that's to the wo- fun. That's nah. the fun of it, though. It's natural to wonder whether or not it's true, and you you want to know. You want to know. First of all, you want to know because you want to know if you can like trust this guy. If you
1: you can listen to anything else he says, right.
2: And you want to know you. You just want to know.
1: You want to know what the truth is. Anyway, whether it's true or false, one thing really nice happened after the episode. Yeah. So we are finishing uh, recording it, and then we um, turns to Aton, and he tells him, Aton, how are you? What are you? What how? What did he ask you exactly? Yes, you are you happy? Are you happy? I was like fuck no. No, you were like, <laughs> you were like you were Aton Aton was in shock. He was in shock. So he started yeah. to ask him a question. Are you happy? Why? What's your problem in your life? Why is this your problem? And he started analyze Aton and Aton was 100% devoted to Yeah, yeah it
2: was I mean amazing. I couldn't I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah. Resistance was futile.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: He was in my mind. Yeah, it was I didn't want to answer him.
5: It was but, incredible.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, then he tried to do it to me, but failed. Um, yeah. <laughs> just...
2: The powers of Noel's mind are <laughs> far too strong for <laughs> Uri Geller.
1: But it was an incredible experience. It was. I think. It Unforgettable. Totally. That's it. That's what I have for you today. That's Basically, it. Yeah. I Uri, want more. Uri was episode 22. Well, you want more? Just go to your favorite. Um, a podcasting app and listen
2: what about uh what's his name uh way and uh the uh grit slurp. i mean that episode just it came, just out, came but, out yeah
1: yeah yeah but still. that's next year maybe next yeah, year next year's anniversary but um before we go first of all i have a personal request from our listeners look guys we are on itunes now if you are listening to this episode on itunes please go to the app or to the website. And rate us because it will mean so much to us Ethan will personally send you a fly picture. To you I will fly to you wherever you are actually the, and the, hug the, you the, intensively
2: That's a deterrent <laughs> <laughs> rate yeah. us and I will find you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit. but please <laughs> no, rate us because rate us it, it will help us out It really will help us the way their algorithms work and everything the higher the rating, the more we're pushed. So please, please rate us, subscribe on iTunes so that you yes. get all the old uh, old episodes and the new episodes as they come out and you can
1: follow us. And besides, we have two collaborations, one with the Jewish Journal of Greater Los Angeles, which is a, a Jewish news uh, outlet and website. They are awesome. And then we have Secret Tel Aviv. Yes, Secret Tel Aviv is
2: 160,000 members strong. It's a Facebook group uh, for... Everything and everything Tel Aviv slash Israel. So recommendations for restaurants, events, parties, uh, whatever, jobs. You can find jobs on there. They have a job fair, I think, twice a year. Secret Tel Aviv, is you have to be part of
1: it. Whether you're in Israel or not, you should join the group. It's a great group. That was it. Um, We will see you again next week and next year. Because like Uri Geller, I demand it. Upon we you, will Aitan, see you next we year. will see you next year and next week uh, we are back to normal with an amazing episode coming up and and thank you guys thank you guys for being with us all this time yes thank you really? our three listeners josh <laughs> josh jim
2: and
0: jeffrey
1: josh, jim and, josh jeffrey. jim and jeffrey you guys have been with us the whole <laughs> way through and we our cherish it listeners and of course Aton's mom and my mom yeah bye
5: guys <laughs> bye. See
7: ya.